They are from Matthew's account, of course. We could read about it in Mark or Luke or even John. All four Gospels give some version of this story. So you can follow along if you'd like, or you can just listen as I read. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. It's an interesting interesting account. A triumphal entry for those of you that have been in church for any extended period of time, you know that this account begins what we often call as Holy Week or Passion Week or it is the beginning of the lead up to where Jesus Christ is ultimately crucified. And so Palm Sunday is the day that we recognize that this journey is now kind of coming to an end. But we celebrate it nonetheless because the scripture kind of points out that there was a celebration going on. So why are we celebrating on Palm Sunday when Good Friday is coming? And kind of I want to rephrase that a little bit. You know, what, what happens between Palm Sunday and Good Friday? How do we get there? How do we move from this day of triumphant celebration, so says the scripture? to Friday, where we will gather in this place, upstairs even, in our community room. You're all welcome to join us at 7 o'clock. We're going to commemorate what happens on Good Friday. But how do we get there? Palm Sunday to Good Friday. I've titled this sermon, Triumph to Tragedy, in our series, Defining Moments. We're winding down on this series, and it will ultimately culminate next weekend uh, with Easter Sunday. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We're here today, right? How many of you know Appomattox Courthouse? Anybody know what happened in the Appomattox Courthouse? For those of you that might not know what happened in the Appomattox Courthouse, April 9th, 1865, in the afternoon, General Lee, who commanded the Southern Army, the the Confederate Army, Uh, walked into the Appomattox Courthouse and met Ulysses S. Grant, who commanded the northern troops. This was part of America's Civil War. And on April 9, 1865, General Lee surrendered. 
Does anybody know what April 9, 1865 was? Take a guess. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, April 9, 1865. Two days later, Abraham Lincoln would give a speech. And in that speech, he was bold enough to say that as a result of this now victory, and you can imagine the euphoria that was spreading throughout the states at that point in time that this civil war had come to an end, Abraham Lincoln was bold enough to say that the freed men now might just be able to vote. Imagine that. But there was somebody in the audience that day, somebody listening to that speech, who was so angered by that idea, he walked out and he said that Abraham Lincoln would never give another speech again. His name was John Wilkes Booth. Three days later, happened to be Good Friday, Abraham Lincoln was shot to death. Palm Sunday, the euphoria of the American Civil War being over, to Good Friday, the man with a vision to unify the states and to abolish slavery was shot to death. How do we get there? How do we go from Palm Sunday to Good Friday? This picture, it's a little bit hard to see, but it was promoted as a part of the victory celebration for the north. And um, on the one side, on your side, it would be the left, you have the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. And on the right, you have Lee surrendering to Grant. And this was memorialized for all of the United States. And there's some um, patronizing language down here. The the erring and misguided, what is it, brethren of the southern states. Anyway, it, it kind of is a little bit patronizing, right? But this is what our country was going through at the end of the Civil War. Our scripture that I read for you referenced an Old Testament scripture. That Old Testament scripture came from the prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, it says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and from the war and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken he will proclaim peace to the nations he will rule his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth you see part of the reason that we can get from palm sunday to good friday is when our expectations are not met This is the image that the people flocking into Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover, this is the image that they would have had. This new king, this new Messiah, he was coming, he was going to overthrow this imperial power called Rome. This was Passover. This great prophet had been doing all kinds of miracles throughout all of the area of Israel. He had been doing all kinds of things to show that that this was maybe the one. He was the one to come and overturn it all. Hopes were rising. 
in a city that normally housed maybe 40,000 people. That's Jerusalem. It had swelled to potentially over 200,000 people to celebrate this Passover. And what did Passover represent? Passover represented liberation. Liberation from an occupying power. Thousands of years before, right? Egypt. When Israel was ultimately freed, that's what Passover represented. Now they're overrun again by this Roman Empire. And they want nothing more than to be liberated. So they come to Passover with this expectation that there might be somebody to actually do this. And word was spreading. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. There was hope was rising. And, and Jesus goes and says, go, go get this colt and, and I'm going to ride down from the Mount of Olives down this path and I'm going to enter into Jerusalem. And their hopes are rising. Who is this? This is Jesus. He's the prophet. He's coming. Their expectations are high that something was going to change. All the more reason, that is, for the Romans to actually be present. This was maybe Jesus' view, right? The palm branches and the cloaks and the coats being thrown down on the road and riding on this procession of people celebrating. We don't actually know how big it was. Matthew says it was pretty big, but uh, some of the other accounts make it seem like maybe it wasn't as big as we think. And certainly as he enters into Jerusalem, there's a lot of people that don't even really know who he is, but the word starts to spread. Again, all the more reason for the Romans to be there. You see, on that day, there was likely another procession that was coming in at just the same time. Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan, who are two prominent theologians, they write a book, and that book is called The Last Week. And in it, they chronicle the entire story from Sunday through Sunday. They, they give a story of what that last week might have looked like. And they chronicle in this book that as Jesus was coming in from the east off of the Mount of Olives, there was likely another procession of the Roman legion coming in from the west. Caesarea by the sea would have been where they had been stationed, but they were required to be in the city for these festivals because they needed to keep the peace. They needed to remind the people not to get out of hand. There were some zealots among them, and they thought if they could stir up the crowds and and the Romans needed to have a show of force. So as Jesus is coming in from the east, there's the Romans coming in from the west. And what were they riding on? They were riding on their horses, showing their power. Centurions and soldiers with their spears and their armor and the drums beating and marching in time and marching into the city. And it would have been this grand display of imperial power and authority. Jesus humbly riding in on his colt. The Romans riding in with all of their power and their might and their victory formations. They would have marched right up to a place called Antonia's Uh, fortress, which is positioned right next to the temple. Because they knew that the temple was where all this activity took place. So they would have marched right into this place. They would have shown all their power and their authority and they would have set up shop right there to oversee everything that would happen throughout the week. Pilate knew he needed to be there. It wasn't but about three decades before that 
right after Herod the Great, who was one of the first occupiers of, well, Herod the Great was the first occupier in that area around Jesus when he was born, right? So as this procession is coming in, they would have been reminded that after Herod the Great had died, there was a revolt in a city called Sephorus. And this city was up in the northern part of near Galilee and just outside of Galilee. And this revolt was so... um, It was almost successful. But the Romans came in and they quelled it and they destroyed that city and they destroyed the people. And in this show of force to say, you're not going to overthrow us, they killed everybody there. Then they marched down to Jerusalem and they crucified 2,000 more Jewish people. In about 4 B.C., right before, right around the time Christ was born, right before that. They knew that the Jews were interested in overthrowing their power. They came in and they knew they had to keep the peace, so they march in with all of their force. So there's two processions that day. The triumphal procession, we we so call it, and this military procession. Procession. On that day, there are also two theologies that clash. Two theologies. Jesus coming in on this humble colt, this humble donkey. The Scripture makes it seem and, and kind of gives credence to the fact that this colt represented something of, of peace. Jesus wasn't coming in on a horse riding triumphantly. He was coming in on a Colt, the foal of a donkey, humble and gentle and representing peace. And Rome coming in and, and representing their imperial authority, but they were also representing that they didn't serve this God. They didn't serve or give credence to the Jewish God, the Messiah, the Jesus, all that. They served the Roman God. The Roman God was the emperor. See, Caesar Augustus, it was said by the Romans that he was born of a woman and a god. The god's name was Apollo. Caesar Augustus was immaculately created in one sense, correct? And it says that he lived as a god, and then when he died, there is a legend that says he was raised up to heaven or to the sky. You see, they served what they believed was the god, the Roman emperor. And this legend had continued, so all the emperors thereafter became the gods on which they worshipped, and then they worshipped a plethora of other gods as well. So marching into the city, you have this theology of God, the Messiah, the Son of David, this new king. And you have the empire marching in at the same time, and you have this clash of theology. How do we go from Palm Sunday to Good Friday? Because all the people, the people that were celebrating this humble peasant king on his donkey, were wishing that he was this powerful emperor, this emperor-like king that was going to overthrow the empire to restore their glory, to restore the kingdom. The expectation didn't quite match. And as the week goes along and they realize that this Jesus isn't who they thought He was, they begin to move away from Him, ultimately leading us to 
Good Friday. We have two processions. Two theologies. And ultimately, we have two choices. Two choices. Which procession would you see yourself in? Would you be coming in on the procession from the West? Looking for the powerful, looking for the authorities, following along in their footsteps and thinking that somehow they're going to help change the day? Or are we aligning? Would we, would we celebrate this humble peasant king who turns everything upside down, but it doesn't feed our sense of power and authority and justice in the same kind of way? How are we going to overthrow all of the things that exist in the world that are standing against us, the injustice, the poverty, the racism, all the different things that stand in our, in our way by following this humble peasant king who would rather serve than overthrow, would rather love and extend grace than exhibit power. And Sometimes the expectations that we have, they don't match up. Sometimes we have a picture of what Jesus is supposed to be and we serve Him for a little while and He doesn't quite meet those expectations. He doesn't change our personal situations. He doesn't give us that job that we're looking for. He doesn't turn over that relationship that really needs to be turned around. He doesn't answer a certain prayer for this or that. And sometimes the Jesus, we're all excited because He's the prophet and he's, He can do it, but he, but he doesn't. He didn't. So we turn. We turn to the authorities. We turn to the empire. We turn to a different way of accomplishing the same stuff. Because they can get results, right? They can, they can make things happen. They're powerful. They're in charge. So we turn to the empire. Because this Jesus, he just doesn't, just doesn't get it done. And we're left with a choice. Are we celebrating the triumphal entry of the peasant king? Or are we going to follow the empire? And another God. And think of the gods in our world that we're enticed to follow. Materialism, money, savings accounts, jobs, and climbing the corporate ladder, and power, political power, and economic power, and all that, right? I don't think any of us, in most people in our culture, they don't say that they worship another god like the Roman gods, like Apollo and those kinds of gods, right? But where are they today? Where is the world? Why is it not sitting in the seats next to us? You know, I was putting my thoughts together for this morning and finalizing my thoughts, and I looked out my window last night. I happened to be up in our attic, and I just looked out in, in the window, and it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. What am I doing? Who am I speaking to? Where is the world going to be tomorrow, today? Where is the world going to be? Because they're not going to be in the seats, right? So few of the world that needs to hear this good news is actually sitting in these seats. 
Because they've already dismissed this humble peasant king. And they're looking for all the answers that the world can offer. They think that the answers are over here. And we know the answer is over here, but the expectations that people have, they just don't quite match up. So today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, hashtag defining moment, right? We have a choice. Which procession would we find ourselves in today? Are we entering in to Holy Week? Are we entering into Passion Week? Ultimately, we know where that leads, right? Passion Week leading to the cross. What does Jesus tell us to do to take up our cross and follow Him? It's not going to look like what the world says it should look like. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be all the same kinds of victories that we kind of make up in our mind that we think should happen on Palm Sunday and the end of the Civil War, but it ends in the death of the president that had the vision to fight for it. Who are we following? If you want to know more about what happens after the Civil War ended, there's a great documentary right now on PBS. Henry Louis Gates Jr. has put together a documentary on um, Reconstruction how the United States had to rebuild itself. It's a fascinating discussion and how much we still have yet to accomplish 164 years later. It's crazy. But that's not really different than what we have as the mission of our church, is it? How much more do we still have to accomplish? How many more people still need to hear that this humble peasant king who came in to usher in an upside-down kingdom and renew us and change and reach out to those who really need to hear him, the the poor and the, the sick and the lame and those who are struggling financially and all. Jesus came to say, I see you. I'm not riding on this big old horse over here. I I see you. I see you who need me. I'll close with this thought. A few verses before in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew, this author, throws in an interesting story. And it's about two blind men on the road to Jericho. On his path into, ultimately, the triumphal entry, he passes two men on the side of the road and And they start yelling out to him, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus ultimately asks them this question, what do you want me to do for you? I think it's a fascinating question. He's heading into his own crucifixion. I've always read that story as, okay, it's just one more event of healing, one more self-sacrificial thing that he does on the way to the cross. But you know what, as I started studying it a little more, as I start to get to know this author, Matthew, a little bit more, I'm like, this isn't just about a healing. There's something that Matthew wants us to see. Literally. Two blind men. What do you want me to do for you, says Jesus. 
We want to see. It's not about two blind men in Jericho, is it? It's about all those people that were gathering for Passover, all the collection of people that were coming and were going to celebrate this huge festival, but did they really see? Matthew, writing all those years later, was pointing back and saying, people, do you see? Do you see who this king is? This humble peasant king riding on a cult, bringing peace. Do you see? We have a choice. Do we serve the God that ultimately went to the cross? Or are we going to serve others and try to make change in other ways? I submit to you this morning that that is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the end. It's a choice. It's a wonderful, powerful, defining moment in our lives. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and they're going to lead us in a song of reflection. I believe this song of reflection was chosen because it gives us an opportunity to reflect on this choice but also to declare where we stand, literally. So as you're listening to this song, as you potentially are singing along, there are ways that you can respond. You might choose to write out a response. There might be some cards in the back of the chairs in front of you, and you could just kind of jot some thoughts down. Maybe it's a prayer request or a thought or a, a way that the Lord has sparked your thinking today. Maybe you just want to linger in His presence. Think, what what procession would I be in? Maybe you want to answer the question from Jesus this morning. What do you want me to do for you? Heavenly Father, as we consider these probing thoughts this morning, we invite you to Speak by your Spirit. So many things were happening that day. You were aware of so many different things going on in the hearts of people. Not unlike the many different things going on in the hearts of us today. And Lord, I pray by the power of your Spirit that you will speak through all the confusion and concerns. And Lord, may we see a different side of who you are. Your obedience your love, your mercy, your grace. A different way of doing things. Challenge our expectations of who you're supposed to be. Guide us today, Lord, to respond, to make that choice to ultimately follow you. To love you. To be loved by you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.